When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. New York Sports Radio fans. Know him, the great Al from White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Tuesday, November 5th, from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed a live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show's bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at London Bridge. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437 or leave a voicemail with the same, again, by calling 929-274-3437. This week, we put a cap on Major League Baseball and give death to the Cleveland Browns. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, another exciting week in athletics. Sadly for us, the baseball season has come to a close. We're not late in saying that. We only do a weekly show, so sometimes we're a couple days behind in talking about certain things. Though I think we're both happy or not disappointed. I'm certainly happy. We'll get into what happened in the World Series. We'll get into the National Football League. And if we can yet claim that there is a great team, we might have a couple suitors finally. But we could start with baseball, our favorite pastime, America's pastime. As we discussed last week, America's pastime added another B, boobs and baseball. Fantastic. The Washington Nationals. Shock the world. Come back from a 3-2 deficit and win the 2019 World Series. Five elimination games total on their run in the postseason. Five times they were down, counted out. Five times they were able to come back. Now dethroning the Goliath of the Houston Astros, winning in Washington, D.C. I mean... Not in Washington D.C., but winning for Washington D.C. Literally, has a lot of success. literally not winning in Washington D.C. Incapable of winning in Washington D.C. Can't do it. The first time that all away teams won in the postseason, we saw things this year that we'll probably never see in our lifetimes. That being one of them, the run of the Nationals being one of them. Incredible performances. Big-time pitching performances from the Nationals in their studs. Steven Strasburg, World Series MVP, and Max Scherzer. Eh, okay performances from the studs of the Houston Astros in the World Series as a whole. But you can't say enough about what the Nationals were able to do in winning this World Series. I don't necessarily think it'll be one of those you kind of forget about World Series. Like the... White Sox or the uh, who else? <laughs> I, I can't even remember the random ones. Well, there, 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 the, the there, random wasn't ones. 
there, there wasn't a 2011 Cardinals Astros game six or Cardinals Rangers game six in there. Right. There was not a game for the ages. And, uh, you know, as we say goodbye and a bit of fond farewell to the 2019 baseball season, John, and, and all of our, uh, our, our tremendous listeners, it was a seven game series. It was exciting because it was a seven game series. It was exciting because of the odd and absolutely unbelievable, unforeseen, unheard of results with all the road teams winning each of the seven games. But in terms of the excitement of the games, the caliber of the games, it left a lot to be desired. There was the juggernaut Astros who knocked off your Yankees after struggling against Tampa uh, and winning that series in five. And there was the nationals given up for dead at 19 and 31. Dave Martinez's job on the line playing a tremendous last two thirds of the season, finish behind the Braves in the NL East, win the wild card, looking like history in the wild card game against the Brewers. And then lo and behold, their young stud, the crotch grabbing lefty from both uh, the plate and throwing wise Juan Soto gets the big hit off of Josh Hader, uh, which turns into be a basis clearing double with an error, basis clearing single and two base error. And they survived the wild card game. Down 2-1 against the Dodgers, everybody's best team in the National League. They rally off a of Kershaw and the, Do- and the Dodger pen in game five in Los Angeles and turn a 3-1 deficit into a game five win. And then they come into the NLCS against my Cardinals and just absolutely like a snowball going downhill that turns into an avalanche. Steamroll the Cardinals, the hitless wonders, as the Cardinals roll out their no doubles offense, their prevent offense, and Mr. Scherzer and Annabelle Sanchez and the big man, the World Series MVP, Steven Strasburg, absolutely positively shut the Cardinals down. And they go in the World Series and they knock off the Astros games one and two in Houston, beating the unbeatable Garrett Cole beating Justin Berlin, and then lo and behold, to just show you how odd this game is and how fast things can turn and how quickly it can flip, they go home for the first World Series in Washington, D.C. since I believe 1936, and they proceed to lose three straight games. And head back to Houston, looking literally dead as a doornail. They rally and win game six, and then in game seven, in what looked like a game that had all the makings of a classic game seven nail biter watch hang on every pitch can't miss a thing. They get two runs early off of a battling Max Scherzer who was very lucky because went in trouble, gave up hard hit balls that found gloves. And Zach Greinke is brilliant for six innings. He gets touched for a solo home run from Anthony Rendon, gets squeezed on a 2-1 pitch to Soto, which instead of 2-1 turns into 3-1 and a walk. And then 
A.J. Hinch takes the World Series and just obliterates it. He takes Game 7, which could have been a game that we could not stop watching, a game that could have gone down in history as one of the great Game 7s of all time. That's where it was headed. We were on pins and needles, 2-1. Down the stretch we come. Not only does he take Zach Greinke out after he'd given up, I believe, only his second hit, the home run to Red Dunk. But lo and behold, do the doors open for the big man? Do we see Garrett Cole? Do we see his Randy Johnson, Madison Baumgartner moment on the verge of free agency after winning the last game that he pitched in tremendous overpowering fashion? To with them ahead three to two. Do we see him come out of that pen? The gates open, snorting fire with his 102 mile an hour fastball after Zach Gransky's Zach Gransky's 70 mile an hour curveball? No, sir. We see Mr. Harris. Mr. Harris, who gave up after a nice little run, gave up a huge bomb the night before after the big delay with the uh, interference call, in which he waited on the mound for five minutes and then got bombed, whose 15 minutes were up, whose time had come and gone, this middling reliever who was on a brilliant postseason run to be beaten up the night before, that's who we go to in Game 7 with the World Series on the line. We don't say with our KG veteran who had pitched the postseason game of his life and given up one mistake. We don't go to our all-world starter for his final appearance in all probability as a Houston Astro, for his career moment to, if not go the distance and finish the game, at least set it up for the closer. No, no. After we've warmed him up, we go with Harris. And then comes... A breaking ball low and away. Then it certainly looked like Howard Kendrick had knew it was coming. He deposits it off the right field foul pole, three two, and you could have turned your sets off there. But instead of then going to Garrett Cole to keep it at three two, he goes to his closer, who gets him an inning, and then the wheels fall off. I think in two thirds from his closer, and then the wheels absolutely positively fall off because he still has a runner, Garrett Cole, and what could have been a tense, hard-fought last two innings turn into a snorefest, thanks to A.J. Hinch, who in the postgame stumbled and fumbled and bumbled and mumbled, nothing but mumbo-jumbo, of why he had Cole up, of why he sat him down, of when he was going to bring him in, of why he didn't bring him in, just incomprehensible for a terrific manager who listened to him in the post game. I was completely befuddled, lost downtrodden because I didn't care who won, but I wanted to watch baseball. I wanted to watch the kind of baseball that I can't stop watching. And that's where we were headed. We were headed towards must see TV. Instead, it turned into a final snore fest in what should have been an enthralling last inning in Game 7 of World Series. Just didn't happen. That surprised me. A.J. Hinch, 
for an incredibly uh, anticlimactic ending to the World Series. That's the storylines for the World Series is aside from game one, which was decided by one run, while the final scores in some of the games in the World Series will lead you to believe they were close games. They weren't in most cases. They weren't necessarily blowouts, but the games were seemingly in hand for most of them until game seven, as you mentioned. We finally have this huge drama late into the game. Everybody and their brother and mother and sister and family knows Garrett Cole is going to be in this game at some point for a batter at least. Just he's waving to the crowd. He's, he's in the bullpen. He's ready to go. Let's go. Never goes to him. Now, A.J. Hinch said he wanted his team to have the lead when he brought him in. Well, you had the lead up to one. Had the lead. Had the lead. If, if you argue, well, maybe he didn't want to bring him in with the runner on base. You want to have him do a clean inning. You can't have everything in life work out perfectly, especially in Game 7 of the World Series. That shouldn't be that, the that, detriment. That is a tremendous point that nobody wants to bring up. That nobody has mentioned, folks, and my partner just said it. You can't sit and wait for the perfect setting. This is game seven of the World Series. These chances come along once, twice in a lifetime. You can't have everything the way you want it. You've got the pitcher to go to. Either you go to him now or you forever hold your peace. And A.J. Hinch will go to his grave wondering, what was I thinking? There is no such thing as the perfect scenario here. You don't have control of that. You don't know that this guy's going to get through the seventh so you can go to call for the eighth. You must go to call now. He's ready. He's revved up. When those doors open, it's going to be like Charlie Sheen in Major League. Okay, The roof is going to blow off of that building. you still got the lead. You go from the cagey veteran who gave you all that he could and who I wouldn't have taken out to begin with. That's my answer to Cole getting a fresh in. He's like, Greggy, finish the end. But if Greggy's coming out, the only guy who's coming into that game for me is Garrett Cole. Plain and simple, no-brainer. No doubt about it. He was ready. He was loose. He was fired up. And this was his cherry on the Sunday. This was his final grand soiree. His swan song. Remember, he wasn't there to win the ring a couple years ago. And now, he finishes off an absolutely Fabulous season, regular season, and postseason with the crowning glory. Out of the pen, game seven, his moment, Randy Johnson, Madison Baumgartner, seal the deal. AJ Hinch says, not so fast, my friend. Let's let's wait till we get you a clean inning. Oh, AJ. Not his best moment. Not his best moment, to say the least. And he pulled several strings throughout the World Series, as managers need to do, sitting guys some nights, pinch hitting for guys other nights. But the Astros' offense as a whole, what's getting lost slightly, was awful with runners on scoring position. 
especially in the games they lost, obviously. But overall, left on base numbers as a team for the World Series, yikes. And I think the number four game seven was 10 left on base, maybe eight in scoring position. They had their chances, and they had their chances all World Series long. It would be one guy one night, another guy the next night, but collectively as a whole, they couldn't get everyone to come together, especially in game six and game seven at home to get the win. And that was a surprising thing for me is just how many people they were leaving on base. You you thought at some point this is going to have to turn. And and there were opportunities where you couldn't blame second and third, two outs chance to bust the game open early three and oh to Springer. I had no problem with his swing with him swing. He's hot. And he hits an absolute rocket, a seed, a line shot that Soto kind of stumbles and misjudges and snow cones a couple inches off the ground instead of a two-run double and the game busted open early. It's side retired, and that ball was hit like an absolute laser. You know, a little later on, Altuve, a couple on, two outs, he hits a rocket to center field. Uh, there were some balls that found gloves, fortunately for Scherzer. He was not fooling anybody, uh, really, pretty much for the duration of his appearance. Uh, he got the catcher to look bad a couple times, but for the most part, uh, he wasn't missing too many bats, and he gave up a lot of hard hit balls with men in scoring position. But fortunately for him and the Nats, and unfortunately for the Astros, uh, you know, sometimes things have a way of working out. And great pitchers, they find a way to battle through, not with their best stuff. They're pitching to contact, and just so happens the contact finds leather. And that really was the rule versus the exception, uh, you know, in game seven. A lot of guys on base, a few walks here and there, some knocks, but never that defining hit. Never that hit that busted it open and they had three or four different chances where you know, a base hit or a double makes it a four-run game. And it never happened. Nets stay within striking distance. Boom, a solo shot. And instantly, the tying runs at the plate. Soto squeezes out the walk. And, you know, 76-year-old Howie Kendrick just comes up big again. Just comes up big history, And for everything that's happened off the field for the Astros with what happened with their assistant GM, how they've handled that, some comments that were made after the game. I'm sure sure people handled very poorly, incredibly poorly. And I'm sure even after the game, a lot of people listening to what Garrett Cole had to say, saying he's no longer an employee of the Astros, but I'll answer the questions on my own behalf. Everybody looking at that took a step back and just says, that's a shame. That's a shame. Couldn't have asked for a better result if you're an Astros hater than going to a game seven at home and losing to the Washington Nationals. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of fans paid money to go see their favorite team in their home ballpark and seven nights left saddened. So thank you, baseball, for another fun season. And congratulations to the Washington Nationals 
from a show that they'll never listen to, but we're at least talking about them. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. As we say on this show, nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. And week nine was interesting. Speaking of all the away teams winning in the World Series, all the home teams won this week in the National Football League. We're still on the show trying to find a great team in the league that has showed dominance, consistency, a dominant consistency. And we've, we've had signs and signals, but nothing yet where we can put our stamp of approval on. Maybe we saw some flashes this week. Maybe from your Baltimore Ravens, Al, with an impressive win against the New England Patriots, albeit in the regular season, unfortunately, but still a win a win. Lamar Jackson looking like an MVP candidate, and they knock off the undefeated New England Patriots. So at least we can... Swipe off that undefeated season talk. A good win. Any way you look at it for your Ravens. Uh, Let me say this about that. First of all, I'm going to be objective here for a chance. Let's pump the brakes on the MVP discussion with Lamar Jackson. The Ravens took a huge gamble by moving up in the draft to take him at the end of the first round. Some people thought he was, you know, a wide receiver. Some people thought he's a brilliant athlete playing quarterback, which is what I think. He's a brilliant athlete who plays quarterback. He is still unrefined throwing the football. He still has a lot to improve throwing from the pocket. I still worry every time he takes off that he's going to get killed. Because it's the nature of the beast. We've seen it happen to so many athletic quarterbacks. We saw it happen to Michael Vick. We saw it happen to RG3. Time and beatings have taken their toll on Cam Newton, the biggest and strongest of them all. This kid is electric. There is no doubt about it. His escapism is astounding. He can turn nothing into something in a heartbeat. Obviously, my concern is him getting hurt. He does have the ability to stay out of harm's way so far, not to Russell Wilson's extent. He is learning how to make some important throws, namely yesterday in a game that the Ravens should have had put away, if not for two horrendous turnovers, the first of which was clearly unexcused by Cyrus Jones. Up 17 to nothing, you own the game. The only way the Patriots can get in this game is by doing what Cyrus Jones does. He doesn't just fair catch. He decides, let me make a nonchalant fair catch on the run when I could just stop plant and catch the ball the right way. But no, Cyrus, the former Pat, is going to take a little Sunday stroll, a little Sunday night stroll to the ball, and instead of squaring up and fundamentally catching the ball, 
Let me try and do a little cool breeze, fair catch on the run. Through his hands, recovered by the Patriots. Instead of 17-0 Raven ball, it's suddenly 17-7. They get the ball back. I'm not going to blame Ingram. Ingram played a hell of a game. I thought Ingram was not nearly at the caliber of potential, capable of the caliber of play for the Ravens this year as she has shown. I did not think this kind of gas was left in his tank. He has been a terrific addition. He was struggling for extra yards on a run, and the ball got ripped out as he was going down. Close call. It was clearly a fumble. Ravens do hold the three, 17-10. And then, lo and behold, an exhausted defense back on the field gives up more yards, and the Pats have a, a fourth and goal from the one-foot line, which the Patriots always go for. They can go in tied and get the ball to start the second half. Instead, Belichick goes for the field goal. I was astounded. I was astounded you go for the touchdown there. They get the field goal, 17-13. Then in the second half, you have the Ravens with the huge stop. The turnover, 24-13, 24-20 off the next touchdown. That's when Jackson makes the two big plays. On third and five, he makes the pass to his tight end to keep the drive alive. And then on fourth and five, the new rambling, gambling John Harbaugh. Now, all of a sudden, he's blackjack mullet. All right? Going for every fourth down in the buck. Goes for fourth and four. The kid makes a terrific throw to the outside to Willie Sneed. And you could have turned your sets off right there because then the game ended. Ended. Because rarely do you see the Patriots' hearts get cut out. He cut their hearts out with those two plays. They then ran the ball down the throats. They score again, they score again, they score again, 37-20, turn your sets off, game, set, match. As the Ravens knock the Pats from the undefeated ranks, the Pats have beat no one any good. Will the Pats ever play anybody any good? Will the Pats ever beat anybody any good? I don't know. They looked very human last night in a game where the door was open for them. They did attempt to storm through it. But then... They got it slammed back in their face. So I'm not quite sure where we are with the Patriots. Tom Brady does look old. The offensive line is mediocre. And the supposed defense for the ages last night looked incredibly average. That was the game we had circled for the let's see what they do when they play somebody game. And they didn't come through. The Ravens are a great team not taking anything away from them, but they were able to poke holes in the defense, poke holes in the Patriots' offense. The only unfortunate part for this is that it comes not in the postseason. And if you're a Patriots hater or you always look for the negative in what the Pats do, you look at this game and say, a part of me could think Bill Belichick found an old playbook from 20 years ago and just said, let's run all these plays and see if they still work. We'll take the loss for this game if they don't, and we'll come up with a new game plan if we see these guys in the AFC playoffs. That's what I was thinking. You never know with New England, but what you did see was what you would hope to see as far as can a team compete with them that we know is good? And the Ravens made sure of that as New England heads into a bye week. And we'll see several more games now 
not until the, the end of the season is a joke for New England with the Bengals, the Bills, and the Dolphins to close things out in the final three weeks so they can coast into the postseason with three, three quote-unquote buys, really. It's amazing. Before the postseason starts. But they've got to go to Philly, which they'll probably be all right there. And they play Dallas and the Texans, so challenges. And then Kansas City on December 8th with, we assume, a healthy Patrick Mahomes. So there's, there's going to be three, four games there's coming up now. There's more losses on the board. They're, they're right. not going 15-1. Exactly. exactly. There's more losses on the board. You know, they, they could wind up being a two seed. Doubtful, but, you know, I, I, I would put them at 12 and four. Best case scenario, 13 and three. Um, and potentially a two seed. But 13 and three probably gets them the one seed, unless they're in a tiebreaker with the Ravens. So uh, they just have so many gimmies in that schedule, so many horrendous teams that you would be shocked that they lost them. But they could lose to Dallas. They could lose to Philadelphia. And they could lose to Kansas City. I don't think they'll lose all three of those games. But I wouldn't be overly surprised if they lost two of them. There's at least juice now in the AFC when it's not just it's New England and Kansas City and, and everybody else. Good luck. Now we at least have another storyline of if Lamar Jackson stays healthy, if the defense does its thing, if Justin Tucker doesn't miss extra points, Al. <laughs> Which I thought was good, by the way. The by way the skin Al, of the Al laces. Michaels, the way Al Michaels explained the rule, the outside of the ball must be wholly inside the outside of the outside post. And I thought the outside of the ball was inside of the outside post. I thought that extra point was good. Still didn't miss the field goal this year. Second missed extra point of his career. I'm going to let him slide. Shout out to Adam Vinatieri, by the way, and the holder. Can, and the please retire. Just retire. My survivor pick for the week. Kind of slim pickings. Could go either way games. I go with the Colts. Jacoby Brissett hears of this pick, sprains his MCL early in the game. Brian Hoyer then has to be my savior, and appears to be, and laces out, laces in, an old Adam Vinatieri. We're going home. No more surviving, courtesy of the Indianapolis Colts. Has to be the worst kick of his career. It was bad. <laughs> and, and again, you could argue the laces, and obviously that's a thing. But yep. it was <laughs> laces. There could have been no laces with anything. It was a bad kick, no he, matter what he, happened to him. He was, he was wider of the left upright than the width of the posts. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. It was, it was like if you accidentally turned away while you were playing Madden and hit the wrong button, and that's the end result. Whoops, I missed the meter coming back down. And the kick goes... Hooked does not, hooked does not do it justice. <laughs> it's that bad. Speaking of not surviving, things coming to an end, the team that I had picked to finish just above your Baltimore Ravens, the team that you had picked to stick around with your Baltimore Ravens, 
your former team, the Cleveland Browns. It took until week nine, but I think we're here. Oh, that no, the no, Cleveland Browns think. are dead. Don't think. You could be more assertive than that. <laughs> the time has come, the walrus said. The Cleveland Browns are dead. It's they, happened again. They've asserted themselves back to being the Cleveland Browns of old. When it's we happened thought again. They would the, not. The curse of Art Modell has reared its ugly head. I've told you time and time again, I've told anyone and everyone who will listen that the castigation of Art Modell by the city of Cleveland for taking the team to Baltimore after he did everything humanly possible, including taking out an equity line of credit with his wife's money, with his wife as the obligor, to sign Andre Bad Moon Rising to try and bring Cleveland a championship, playing in that rock pile, playing in that godforsaken dump where there were absolutely no luxury boxes, where he was going broke when the city built Jacobs Field, when the city built the then Gund Arena, when the city built the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Art had to wait and wait and wait. And finally, Art said, I can't wait no more because I got no money, honey. I am going broke trying to put a winning football team, a championship football team on the field that hellhole of a field. And I'm doing all with my money with no income, no seat licenses, no luxury boxes, no nothing in this godforsaken, hideous, dump of a rock pile known as Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Finally said enough. Baltimore came along. It was kill or be killed. Art had to leave. I left with him. 1965, Jimmy Brown. I left with him. And I'm glad I did. Because the city of Cleveland turned their back on the owner who did everything possible Everything within his power. He's one of the great owners in the history of the league. One of the most powerful owners, always on the TV committee, the one who negotiated the deals, the one who led the way in the revenue sharing, which is what makes the NFL. Everybody gets an equal piece of the pie, no matter the size of your market. That's what made the NFL great. That's what put the NFL on our television map. Owners like Art Modell and the Maris said, we will share with Green Bay. We will share our massive audiences and our share of the monies with the Green Bays of the world. You know, they have 15 people in the city. Those were the owners that were responsible for the greatness of the National Football League. And the city of Cleveland turned up their nose to our model. They refused. And, and of course, when they got a new franchise, it was easy to build a new stadium. See how quick that thing went up. The curse of Art Modell will preclude the Cleveland Browns, these new Cleveland Browns, these fake Cleveland Browns, these phony Cleveland Browns from ever being any good. We saw what happened a few years ago when they were good for that one season and they just missed the playoffs when they spit the bit. 
the last game of the year against the Bengals. And they said, oh, let's put him on four money and three money in football games. And suddenly they get Braylon Edwards. He's the second coming. How long did that last? Would they go that year? Four and 12, five and 11. Next year, Braylon Edwards is a jet. And the wheels fell off of that Browns team. The wheels have fallen clearly off of this Browns team as they struggle with their cursed player. As Odell Beckham, once again, will not be in the postseason. Wearing the wrong shoes. Subject to fines. Always somebody else's fault. Can't you just wear the right shoes? I know it's a pain in the ass. I know it's penny ante. I know it's ridiculous. It really is. But for once, can't you just wear the right shoes? Can't you just do what they tell you? Just once. Just once. I know this isn't all your fault. I know that it would stink because of you. But how come is it wherever you go, they stink? Somebody help me. Why is it wherever you go, the team stinks? Why is it? Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. There's no easy answer, and it's not going to be an easy one to answer as the season continues now for Cleveland because this was the start of the games where we said, all right, it was a tough first half of your schedule. No questions about it. Understandable that there were some losses. There still were some that there shouldn't have been. There were a couple winnable games there, but okay. You have a bye, whatever it is. Now we start with the Denver Broncos. You lose to Brandon Allen at quarterback. Somebody that I, as a Broncos fan, had no idea was going to be starting on Sunday. After Joe Flacco stuck his neck out for the team last week and ripped the coaching staff for playing scared, basically, with nothing to lose. When you only have two wins, why not go for things? Why not take risks? Literally stuck his neck out and ended up on the IR because of a herniated disc somewhere near his neck, which I think my theory is they knew about, and it was something that he would have just played through for the season and maybe had surgery on when the season was over. But after his comments went public, they said, listen, that neck's looking a lot worse Monday than it did Sunday night. You're on the IR. So the Joe Flacco era could be over in Denver, even though he has more years remaining on his contract. This was a game that you, you just can't lose this football game. Now comes the point of the season where there's games that you just can't lose those types of football games. If you're the Detroit Lions kind of clinging to your season, the up-and-down Oakland Raiders, you can't lose that football game. Putting yourself in a position now where, thankfully, the Packers lost. and thank, Well, everybody in that division lost on Sunday. The Vikings lost to the Chiefs without their star quarterback. And now 
they'll be under the bright lights, I believe, Sunday night coming up this week. So that's a loss. We know what Kirk Cousins does in that situation. But we're getting to the point now where there's games that you just can't lose these football games anymore. That was it if you're the Cleveland Browns. And they did. It was an ugly game. I know it was in Denver. I know the Denver defense is great. That's a game you have to win to save your season, really. And they didn't show up for it. And there's enough finger pointing to go around to Baker, to Freddie Kitchens, to the wide receiving core. Eh, what do you do? It's got to be the curse. It's got to be the curse. That's a game you can't lose. And that's it for the season. So now what? The first thing the Browns should do, they need to go back to the Browns uniforms. The things they are wearing now are just putrid. The all brown uniforms, the all orange uniforms. You want to be the real Cleveland Browns, which you will never be anyway? Put on the white pants and the white jerseys or put on the white pants and the brown jerseys. If you really want to stretch it, if you really, you, you want to go to the Brian Sipe slash Bernie Kosar Browns? Okay. You want to put on some orange pants with the brown jerseys and the white and, 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 and the white jerseys? That's okay. All right. But the all brown uniforms, the all orange, the all brown uniforms are abysmal looking. Absolutely off, as are the brown pants. The pants must be white, or we can go with the 80s orange, the 70s and 80s orange. The jerseys must be white or brown. You want to be the Browns? Dress like the Browns. Who knows? Maybe you'll play like the old Browns. I doubt it, but you'll look better. And if you look better, play better. It's a mess. An absolute abortive mess. How long will Freddie Kitchens last? I assume they'll give him the season. But it's going downhill. It's going downhill. Remember, this team beat the hell out of the Ravens. Beat them up. Dominated them on the ground. And they can't get out of their own way. They just cannot get out of their own way on offense. They're not scoring enough points on offense. And it's just turned into a nightmare on the dog pound. No two ways about it. Um, is there any doubt they're the most disappointing team in the league? You could, you could, you could probably, I, I mean, I guess you could probably make an argument that the Bears are there as well. Um, we'll know next to, week, definitely, because they play the Lions in really like a, a loser goes home type of game. Oh God! How about the they just? Goes. How about they just both stay home? Right, right, right. Save us. I think we'll we'll know definitively for the Bears next week, though. I would say they're very close, based on the expectations coming into the season and the chatter and the talk and the cockiness. It's it's the Browns. Almost by a landslide, you can you can swallow some of the other teams that have been dismal this year. I mean, one team's trying to do it on purpose, 
and another team said, we see you trying to do that on purpose. We're going to lose to you trying to lose on purpose in the New York Jets. I mean, that's, that's almost as bad as it gets, but if you're a Jets fan, you expect this sort of thing. The mono happens, and you just chalk it up to another year of the goddamn I did not Jets. Expect them, I did not expect them to be this bad. No. I did not. No. And I thought not, they had a not chance like to be, flat. I thought hasn't they had a chance flashes. with the division. I thought they had a chance to be six and ten, maybe even seven and nine. There's no, there's no flashes really to speak of. There's not. They're not losing like Charger games where it comes down to a game-winning field goal or a, a bad interception with ten seconds to go, and you're trying to make something happen. They're just losing games, just straight up losing week after week. There hasn't been any, well, at least this or well, at least that, or look at the stats. Everything's just been in a downswing since an early victory. It's just been week after week of, can this possibly get any worse? This has to be the week they turn it around, and it hasn't been. And now you, you don't know what you have with this team. You, you still don't know what you have in Baker Mayfield as a quarterback. You don't know if you can write him off yet or if he's going to be who he expects to be. And you don't know what he's going to be like with weapons around him and Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, et cetera, because maybe you could say, well, Freddie Kitchenson's calling the plays. Clearly he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So maybe he's not the answer. But you're still, say, two seasons behind of figuring any of this out, even if you press all the right buttons until then. Bad. <laughs> That's all you can say about it. It's bad. And, and with literally no improvement in sight. Just getting worse. Quarterback blowing up the press. Star wide receiver not getting the ball. Coach you know, taking a five-yard penalty, go from fourth and 11 to fourth and 16. Uh, just, uh, I don't know. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. <laughs> There's a lot of help that needs to go around in Cleveland. Really, looking through the slate, there weren't a ton of major storyline games as far as ending seasons or unexpectedness. I mean, hey, Russell Wilson's a really good quarterback, and he's, he's in the MVP race throwing five touchdowns against the Bucks, And even though they went into overtime, you were just like, eh, they'll be fine. <laughs> Another Play close the Seahawks game. They're playing the Bucks. Jameis will do something stupid, and they'll be fine. And which he didn't. Surprisingly. To his credit, he played very well. Jameis had an excellent game, but their defense couldn't stop a strong wind. And, you know, Russell Wilson's throwing it up for grabs, and D.A. Metcalf is making catches, and Lockett's making catches, tight ends making catches. And uh, what's he got, 22 Touchdown passes to one interception. Yep. I like the ratio. If you want to call it a ratio, if you want to do it as a plus minus, either way, it works out real good. And the, the Packers losing to the Chargers is inexcusable. But they play their worst game of the year, and Los Angeles plays their best game of the year, and that's what happens in the National Football League sometimes. Thankfully for the Packers, they're in a place in the season which they're not necessarily used to, where a loss like this doesn't necessarily matter because you got off to such a hot start. So there's a lot of stuff that can kind of be swept away from this week. And as we mentioned, next week we'll get some excitement. 
well, I shouldn't say excitement. We'll get excitement in the Monday night game with the 49ers and the Seahawks squaring off. We'll be talking while that game is being played. And the real big game as far as, hey, this is going to make or break your season, literally, is the Lions-Bears. Or if you want to get excited for the MetLife home-and-home with the Giants and the Jets. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Talk about putrid. I mean, who in their right mind would want to go to that game? I am so disappointed because I thought he was the best quarterback in the draft. I thought he had a chance to be a tremendous NFL quarterback, and he still does. But I would be lying if I told you I I thought that that in terms of my overview of players and talent, uh, that so far I have not been right about Sam Darnold. He is not developing, and I know obviously he had injuries this year with the mono, but he is he is he is not developing to the extent uh, and to the speed that I thought he was going to. Uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, that's another you don't know type situation because of Adam Gase and because of the illness. Now you're a year or two behind with that, trying to figure out what he's made of. Some of we the things that are happening this. in the league are setting teams back one right. to two to three years just because yeah. you don't know yet. Not great. No, I mean, and, and, and you've got it with franchises that people thought were going to be really good. You know, people had high hopes, as we discussed, you know, for the Browns. Atlanta was supposed to be a good team. They're a train wreck, an absolute train wreck. The Bears, Super Bowl bound, one of the best defenses in the league. Their offense is, it's like watching a high school offense with a quarterback who's never thrown the ball. They're awful to watch. There's nothing worse in football than, than to watch a team that, that is, can't move the ball, no matter how great their defense is. And it's one thing if, you, if you've got a, a conservative offense, like the Ravens do, even though they have weapons now that they don't throw it all over the field, throw it up and down the field, and they just run the ball well and and throw it now and again. But the Bears can't run the ball. The Bears don't block anybody. The Blairs can't throw the ball. The Bears quarterback looks lost when he's throwing the ball. It's a bad, 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 bad watch. And you've given up in some cases, draft picks, money, players to try and land these guys, all of the above, and you've put so much into it, you can't give up on it yet. But are you going to run into a situation that the Tennessee Titans, unfortunately, find themselves in, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, unfortunately, find themselves in, where you have your franchise quarterbacks drafted as your first pick, one and two in the overall draft, but now you get several years removed with nothing to show for it. And you got to start from square one, in a sense. Though the Bucks continue to roll Jameis out each week, unfortunately it's not going to get any better for them. It's a bad spot to be in. You really sometimes just have to find gold rolling around in the water and hope that it's real. 
to use a terrible Jimmy G. 49ers pun. Jimmy, Jimmy G. G. Still undefeated. <laughs> Still undefeated. Last thing for us, if you do want to go to MetLife, the cheapest tickets, 131 U.S. dollars. Who's paying for this? Get, Who's filling these seats? Get out of here with that. Who I mean, in their right is, mind would pay know, that money? It's not the Cowboy. The Cowboy fans aren't going. The Packer fans aren't going. Who's who's filling this building? How can there possibly be enough Jet and Giant fans with the state of their teams to go to this game and fill the building? For more than $100. You could go watch the Cowboys play Sunday night football next week against the Vikings, which on paper is a tremendous game. In real life, we know Kirk Cousins will be absolutely horrendous because the populace is he's watching Kirk, him play football. Because he's, he's Kirk Cousins. There's be, there'll be more cameras on and crews. He can't handle it. $67. We could go watch the Bengals host your Ravens for $32. Who the hell is going to MetLife Stadium for $131 dealing with the traffic and the prices and everything that goes into that garbage place to watch the Jets and the Giants play football? Dear Lord. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next I, week. I couldn't. I couldn't watch that game at home. To quote, why would I pay to? to why quote, would I pay to go watch? It? To quote a host, we quote quite often. If that game was in my backyard, I'd draw the blinds. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Unwatchable National League football from two absolutely abysmal franchises who have turned over the reins. Is New York's only NFL team to the Buffalo Bills. Goodness gracious. And we know nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Until next weekend of another fun-filled football weekend. And we'll get into the college because we will have our first Final Four preview. So we will talk about that. We'll throw in a little Heisman hunt. And we will continue to talk about the National Football League, MLB Free Agency, for my tremendous partner, the newly minted 30-year-old, the one and only John Tiny Lawn. I am El Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great sports week. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>